We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Uh, I think you recognize that music. We haven't heard it this season, but we've heard it in the recent past. That's right. It is the Europa League anthem. And I, for one, think it's a banger. I have always thought it is the better anthem. And uh, I'm looking forward to hearing it again. And there will be time when the season is over to discuss progress, to discuss the things that we've gotten right. And it's going to be hard because in the moment... I think we are all feeling a bit of a loss. We're we're struggling through a an emotionally challenging moment that is going to make it difficult to have objective conclusions on the season. So what I what I hope we can do is talk about what went wrong at Newcastle. What has gone wrong in the last few games and how we find ourselves in the situation we are currently in where Timu Puki is going to beat Spurs and we are still going to make it in the Champions League obviously. Uh, probably not. But what I mean is essentially that I don't believe there are going to be many of us that really effectively can contextualize the whole season in this moment. So I don't know that we're going to try to do that right now. What I do want to say uh, is I leave tomorrow for London. And I found myself last night through the sadness, through the trauma of what we're experiencing, still feeling extremely excited to see people, to connect with people, to raise a glass with people, to celebrate the season that was, to celebrate our connection to Arsenal. And like, it is the case that whether the football is delivering you joy or or sadness, it's the people that we get to meet and connect with and relate to and spend time with and share the experience with that makes it worthwhile, period. So 
I'm still really excited to see a lot of you on Saturday. Really excited to be at the Emirates on Sunday. Nothing is going to dull or dent my enthusiasm for that, even if my current emotional state is melting face emoji. Um, but that's okay. I think we're all there a little bit, and we will get over it. Uh, but we got to do this. We got to drag ourselves through what happened at Newcastle. We got to drag ourselves through the position we find ourselves in now, and then maybe, maybe there'll be a little time when we have some distance to to try to identify whether or not this season delivered the kind of progress we were hoping for. So here to do those difficult things with me now are Paul and Clive. Paul's on Twitter at Pause My Pants. Hello, Paul. Woohoo! Clive's on Twitter at Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Yeah, you guys. I mean, look. I have to say, I was so anxious before the game that I literally went to the Department of Motor Vehicles to get a new driver's license. Anything I could do to like not be thinking of the build-up to the game. The game itself was agony, and in the wake of the game, it was just sadness and trauma and depression. And I'll level with you. I don't feel a lot better today, but the thing that I I really feel very strongly is that this game was over essentially at kickoff. Um we never really got into the game. And Paul, I I definitely think that there is a talent issue that we have been skirting around. That if you just, you know, we've been saying for so long, haven't we? Like, if Arteta gets us to Champions League with Elneny and Cedric and Nuno Tavares and Enkedia, like, it'll be a miracle. Well, he didn't. Because there's a reason the better squads win the leagues and the worse squads don't win the leagues. And the team we've been putting out on the pitch for the last several weeks is not one of the better squads in the league. It's not one of the top four squads in the league. And like, I'm going to say something people are going to hate, okay? When these things go wrong, we want someone to blame. We want culpability. And saying injuries isn't a satisfying answer, right? That's not enough blame. That's not enough culpability. But we are playing with less good players and our performances have been less good. So while it's hugely disappointing, it's probably not that surprising. And so when this game kicked off, they they showed us the players coming out of the tunnel. And there were some really terrified faces in that tunnel. And I think that fear transmitted. And I'm wondering if you think, to the extent that you, we can set aside tactics and talent for a minute, that the the psychological aspect of this game was lost really the moment we walked on the pitch. Because to me... This looked like a scared team. So I'm having more and more trouble podcasting with you, Elliot, these days because your <laughs> takes are getting more and more reasonable. And that's I, not. I, I assure you, I can work on that. Just give me time. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm all. Set I haven't up had my to... coffee yet. As soon as I finish it, this is going to get crazy. <laughs> I promise. It's just I'm wired to come at you for your terrible take, and you come at me with things I <laughs> mostly agree with. Uh, like I do think we were. We were kind of beaten before we took the pitch. Um, and I do think part of that was psychological. But part of, part of that psychology, you can say that's a weak mindset, but it might also be somewhat grounded in reality. You look around the dressing room and you see a bunch of guys who are patched up. You know that they're not fit. Um, you don't know what the lineup is till an hour beforehand because who's, you know, will Gabriel actually play? fitness tests that morning you know nobody knows what's going on that's not a good feeling going in to a, a must win game when you just got your clock cleaned at at spurs at uh, the tottenham stadium um for similar reasons and you just kind of feel your numbers up and you look around the dressing room and there's nothing there that's that makes you think 
oh, we've we've got a winning setup. You know, you're looking at these players yeah. as a player too, and the manager can get you fired up, <clears throat> and then you go out there, and St. James, James's Park is rocking. This is the it best. was yep mm-hmm. yep and look, Newcastle haven't been great all season, but that was that team. Then there was that the team we faced last night, and you can say what you like; they were fucking good, and they may not have been brilliant, uh, but their physical levels, their aggression, their honestness—you know—most of what they did came off in some form or other. So it was not this kind of mid-table battle um, against a team that knows they're supposed to be heading off to the beach that the calendar, the football calendar would have suggested earlier. Uh, they were about as up for a game as you can be up for. And they were about, like, this was by far the best Newcastle that's been around for a decade. And we weren't very yeah. lucky on that side of things. Didn't open up much opportunity in the first five or ten minutes for these guys to think, hang on, we might be having a night tonight. We, you know, we we can make this happen. It's like everything... We were mostly beaten before we got out there. And I think there are, like, I don't just think that's a weak mindset. You can't lie to yourself. Like, if you got, no no offense to grandmothers, but if you got uh, go. <laughs> not, not, nine grandmothers with Zimmer frames and a uh, a guy in a coma, and that's what you're heading out to the pitch with, there ain't no mentality you can bring that's going to convince you you got a real shot here. And I just think we've run out of logs to throw on the fire. And that's apparent, not just to us, not just to the rest of the football world, but to the players themselves. They're beat up, they're beat. Um, yeah. It was a must win game, and they just didn't feel it. And that wasn't just weak mentality. Yeah. And look, I'm not just pulling this out of my ass like most of the takes I have. Like, I mean, Granite Shaka after the game said we were nervous, we lacked the balls. I mean, we'll, we'll get into what he said and and some of the reaction after the game, but like, they they obviously clearly see that they didn't follow the manager's plan, didn't do what the plan was. I mean, Clive, in terms of the team we put out, I mean, you could say we got lucky. Like, maybe we, we might have expected a lift because the reaction, at least online, was ebullient when the news broke that it was going to be white and Tomiyasu, and Gabriel, and Nuno. I mean, aside from Nuno, which is the one that you could say he had a choice to make, but I don't think that wound up being a factor in the game. The team he put out there, you know, whether you're a Martinelli guy or a Smith Rowe guy, I mean, you know, that that's a 50-50 call. That's, that's flip a coin. It was the right team. So we, we got the lift of having the team out there that we needed. But Newcastle showed their intention right from the start to press us. And Newcastle is the team with the 19th most passes played in the Premier League. Now, I realize they're a very different team now than they were at certain parts, but even still, even with their their improving form, that's not a team that has possession. That's not a team that completes a lot of passes. At one point, we had 33% possession. We couldn't play around their press. And so I'm curious how you look at the way the game started, and you know, we had the players out there we would have wanted to, but they they really weren't able to cope with the intensity of what Newcastle were trying to do. Yeah, so when we see teams in our mind, and I saw the team, and I was buzzing, 
a team with yeah. a name, yeah. given where we could have named and um, or what we could have named. Sorry. So, so when we have a team, we were um, deciding whether it should be Shaq or El Nenny at center back. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what we were having in our mind. And yeah. you know, I think, I think, oh, this is it. You know, maybe the mood of the game is going to be it's going to fall for us this time, and because we were sort of like we were the villain of the piece at Spurs, and we're never going to win that game. So here we are. So here we are. We've got a nice team, good lineup of you know. Our, our second best back four, in my opinion. If Tierney was there, that would make the best back four. I'm thinking, yeah, we can push Nuno on. We can have Elneny drop in, Shaka a left eight, Odegaard right eight. We can pop it out to Saka, Eddie stretching them, Smith rowing the pocket inside lane four, Nuno buzzing outside him. This is it. Let me sit down. Let me get my beer out. It's going to be a great night. right? But what happens is, <laughs> sometimes the other team get the ball. And what they decided to do was take away our compactness, take away what makes us comfortable by stretching us out. And and they kept clipping the ball to Sam Maxman, clipping the ball to Wilson, clipping the ball to Almiron. And we are, how many times on your screen do you see us sprinting back, sprinting back? They may have been offside on many of the canes, but they were still making their intent really, really clear to get us into our half and then keep us there. And then you know, they always I always say, you know, one of my phrases is I to bore the listener, but the other team tells you your weaknesses, right? The other team tells you about you. So once we're in our half, we have have we got the same ability to play out? Well, it's their home game, they're gonna get all aggressive around us and just say sorry, ref, and smash us and then and then okay, so you can go around the press. Well they really they really marked us to touch lines, Nuno and Saka really marked them tight. Smith throws not ready, not invisible on the day. And so normally I have Martelli exiting on that side. We missed him. In hindsight, hindsight's collection, I waited to be thrown, by the way, so no drama there. And I was hoping that we could stretch them back because it was obvious to me they were looking to really push us into our half. And then we had decisions to make, to, to play through, go around or go over. And we decided to play through. That encouraged them. Crowd goes up. Corner, 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 corner. Clip ball into, into our side. We give away a corner. Corner, corner, corner. Pressure, pressure, pressure. And eventually you forget what you're meant to do. You forget your own game plan. So who's going to lift us? Who's going to take the ball? Who's going to get hold of the ball? So I'm looking at our two double tens, you know, Smith Rowe and and Odegaard. One in Smith Rowe, let's just give him the benefit of the doubt, right? He hasn't been fit for a long time. He was coming off the bench in January and scoring goals. He hasn't been fit for a long time. His issue is in the gym, is in his body. We know this, right? Not the first time we've heard this. Odegaard has these games sometimes where he just doesn't feel it. You can see it. Sometimes he may look around and say, who am I playing with today? You know, sometimes he may, I'm giving the benefit of the doubt again. But if I'm honest with you, this, he's either a 3 out of 10 or he's a 9 out of 10. And when he plays well, we are we are a 9 out of 10. And I don't like, yeah. I've said it before earlier, I don't like how our game plan is so wrapped up in that one man's ability. He's an absolute conductor of the orchestra. But if he drops his conductor stick, we're done. right? And so we need something else. We haven't got that plan. We haven't got that ability to react. And so it comes, and then what happens then? Once team, it's, very, it's, it's almost, it, you should find the Crystal Palace podcast, mate, and just play that instead. Because it's exactly it, the same thing. It felt thing. like that. It, it really did. Yeah, exactly. We what did they do? The physical challenge. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and, I, and I hate doing this because I can see the disco boys saying, "Ah, oh, Clyde's going to talk about pace and power again." Well, I'm not. I'm just saying to you, you have to compete. You have to compete. If you don't compete or can't compete, 
Teams are going to do this to you. They are telling you yeah. you're not strong enough. They're telling you you can't travel across the ground. You cannot beat them. You can't take it past them, travel and run away from them and cause them stress. We haven't got the players in the central zone that can do that. And they knew it. And we haven't yeah. got a centre forward you can hit from from far away. Our best person post-up player is, is Saka. Everyone knows it's their boot him off the pitch every single game. Right? And, um, and so... It's not even a case of having the, oh, maybe we should look at, and by the way, we'll talk about the coach's approach, by the way. Please don't let that one go past me, Elliot. Um, mm-hmm. I almost, I find myself searching for solutions within this team that if a team plays a certain way against us, I can't find the answers with the players we had on the pitch, particularly in centre midfield on this particular day and their can, performance. Can I ask you a question? Because you've been on a touchline, and, and you know, look, I get that the Premier League is different, but psychology mm-hmm. is psychology. Do you? And this is not me trying to find a reason to criticize. I'm just asking. It, this, this, I honestly want to know. This is just a question. Sometimes <laughs> a question is just a question. Um, just ask the question. Eddie. When a manager has the the touchline demeanor that Mikel does, trying to kick every ball, trying to position every player, really pacing, really antsy, really anxious. Does that transmit to players? Do players? Do players feel that, or is that just a, a nonsense thing that you know is for the cameras? Like, how how much is a player aware of the mindset of a, of a manager? Because the one thing I noticed about Klopp, and I noticed it in the penalty shootout, actually in the FA Cup, he was laughing. He was having a laugh with Virgil Van Dyke, like as they're getting ready to go to a penalty shootout for the for the FA Cup. And like, I'm again, I'm not trying to say Klopp's mentality monsters versus our site, you know, psychic fragility. I'm just saying that there are multiple ways to manage the psychology of your players through a game. And I'm wondering if you if you think that matters or if that is more of a thing for the cameras than for the players. Well, I'd be laughing if I had Virgil van Dijk in my defense, but even if you know <laughs> well, that, well, like yeah, a, but yeah, I mean look. <laughs> but I'll tell you at the, We've the spent level some money in defense to be fair. <laughs> the, the sort of level that I'm at, you know, with five hundred to a thousand people in the ground, right? That's it's different. So what what you can do, what I don't like to see is that if a manager or coach is having a go at a referee and destabilizing the referee. Right, so because then you can lose the game from that. Do you see what I mean? But at this yeah. level, what he's trying to do, he's coach his team, and 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 that's what he's doing. And he can see things happening, and he's telling people to drop, go in. He can literally can see the next pass. He can see what's happening. He can see the movements. He can hear what they're trying to do, and he's trying to assist his team. I will never sit there and say, "Don't do that." Uh, I've heard other fans say, "Oh, the manager just sits on the touchline, doesn't do anything. Just sits on his chair, doesn't get up." Some people say they'd rather managers be in the stands and look down. Some people like to kick every single yeah. ball with their team. And I think Arteta's one of those, and that's his style, and I'm used to it. But if you want to talk about approach to the games, then please, please. Can, can yeah, I just we'll, say we'll something quickly we'll on, on yeah, that, Clive? Please, Paul. Mm-hmm. I think yep. it makes a big difference if the manager is going apeshit on the touchline and that's not something he normally does. That communicates panic. But when your manager is always animated always part of the process like to not suddenly do that is a subtraction so yeah uh, i think they're all just used to each other uh, in the long run I, we'll see which way works best but for a coach coaching a team trying to communicate continually a new and better way to play i get it he can't wait till the training ground next tuesday to say you know guys we talked about the game plan but after 15 minutes you stopped doing it 
Yeah, but look, I've left it to it, now to tell you. Paul, the one thing we know is when there was a drinks break during Project Restart, he yeah. actually used used those drinks breaks pretty effectively. So, you know, I mean, we know he can coach. Like, that's not the issue. The interesting thing is there are, there are a lot of times, I think, we just overrate the impact of coaching versus just the talented players. But one thing that I think can be indicative of coaching is when you have certain certain things about patterns of play that stand out and are repeated. You know, like, for example, like Graham Potter's Brighton has a lot of possession. That's because they're coached to play that way, right? That's not an accident. They don't have, you know, that's his style. One thing that I'll say about Arteta's arsenal is we're a very, very bad team when we aren't winning. And it's a really interesting issue that we're going to need to address. So if you'll bring up a table based on results from losing positions, okay? Arsenal were in losing positions 11 times this season, which to be fair is fourth best in the league. In other words, we we were not in losing positions that often compared to other teams in the league. Um, Liverpool were in losing position 10 times, Chelsea 8, Manchester City 7. From those 11 losing positions, we had one win and 10 losses. We picked up three points. And in terms of the goal difference, we scored three and conceded 27 from that position. Now, again, you do have to bear in mind that there were some heavy defeats early in the season. The Chelsea and the City games um, pile up some, some of those statistics. But if you look at Tottenham, for example, they had 15 losing positions from which they recovered 13 points, four wins and a draw. Um, 0.87 was their average points. 0.27 was ours. And I should mention, only two teams were worse than us, Watford and Norwich. Those are the only teams that were worse than us on a point-per-game basis from a losing position. So, Paul, I, I am curious, and then we'll, we'll roll back to some of the patterns of play, but I'm curious if you have a thought on that being specifically related to something about the way we play. You know, as a team in general, we are once again staring down the barrel of a 56-goal season, whereas, you know, late-era Arsene Wenger, Unai Emery, we were more in the 73-goal range is it just that we have too many young players that are relied upon to score? I mean, how, I'm not. Let me let me not answer the whole question for you. Let me just ask you: How do you look at this this circumstance that has found us so vulnerable to game state and so unable to reverse losing positions? So um, I don't really have an answer for it, except to say, if I look at the other side of the coin, we won a lot of games. And we drew almost no games. I think we had three draws in the whole season, which is, you know, how does one feel about draws? One should avoid them as long as you're doing plenty of winning. The you reason know I we hate were, them. Yeah. The reason we were challenging for top four uh, was not because we didn't lose any games. It's because we didn't draw any games. Um, yeah, it's crazy. This is our record most losses in any Premier League season. Yeah. But we were pushing for top four. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's something a little unusual. I grant you that. But the other side of the point what, point is we started fast. We got leads. We held on to them. And if we scored first, and we often did, if we, if we started fast and well, that was our tactic. Um, and we managed to hold on to it. But as the end of the season came along, it didn't look like we could hold on to leads anymore. 
um, as the logs on the fire became fewer and fewer. So I don't have a great tactical or mental, like I bet you next year will be different. I bet we'll look at our wins, our losses, our draws, our coming from behind. You know, every every it feels like every year there's something about, oh, Arsenal, you know, our set pieces are whatever. Now, we've obviously done some real work on set pieces and our set pieces are really good. Next year, our set pieces will be more mediocre. Our coming from behind, you know, our away record at Arsenal was at record low levels this year. Uh, sorry, our home record was uh, our home record at Arsenal two seasons ago was at record low levels for whatever a PL season, blah blah blah. And this year, mm. our home record's really, really good. I, I, I don't see a tactical or a mental point to say this guy, this team can't come back from behind. Uh, I think we just have a. A difference in performances. There are games when our football is there and we take it to them and we score the first goal and we do well and games where we kind of don't really show up and like there is a mentality and a youth part to that but I also think there's a depth. The fact that we, like when a manager doesn't have options, we might have been excited about the lineup last night but that's because these were literally the bodies that were wheeled out onto the pitch and were available, not because they were all raring to go and they were, each guy was competing against somebody. It was Tierney against Nuno and Nuno had got in ahead of him. It was um, uh, Tommy Yasu against somebody really good and he'd got in ahead of him. Uh, <laughs> right. And around, <laughs> around the, like the, as we said, the only guy who got on the pitch based on form you might say, is arguably Smith-Rowe versus Martinelli. Now, you could argue whether that was really about four, but that was the one elective the manager had of two strong candidates for a position. That's not Liverpool's situation. That's not City's situation. It's not Chelsea's situation. It's not even Spurs' situation, right? They're actually choosing the better of two fit, healthy, and in their terms, good players, and we're choosing the one who has a pulse at the moment. Uh, yeah. Those are the off games, the mm. on games. We start fast, we do well. Think about this, though. 27 of our 47 conceded came in the 11 matches we were trailing. Yeah. 20 of our 47 goals conceded came in the other 26 games. I mean, it really seems to me that there is going to have to be a back-to-the-drawing-board approach to what we do from a trailing game state. I wonder be- how, and, and- how often those map to, we had Tommy Asu, we had White Gabriel, and we had Tierney. And I bet there's yeah, a I, really I don't, I, good honestly, match. Honestly, I don't. Uh, can I, I tell you that yep, they... <laughs> no, I don't know that mapping, but I know that that back four that we that we love in our minds <laughs> only played together 10 times so far this season. Mm. That goes to show you, doesn't it, what the what the issue is? Yeah, yeah. Well, and the I mean, fall off is massive. It, it look, I said it at the top of the pod, and I'll say it again. Just saying injuries is not a satisfying answer because it doesn't create culpability. Now, maybe the culpability comes from the fact that we had injuries. Maybe you can look and say, why is Tomiyasu getting injured? Why is White not being able to finish the season? Why is Gabriel getting muscle injuries when we play once a week? When we have, you know 
a squad that maybe we haven't used in the right way or didn't look, those are all outside issues. My point is, if you said to me, what's the number one reason we're not going to be top four? My number one reason is injuries. That's unsatisfying. So then we go down the list and we start talking about January and we start talking about strikers and the Aubameyang situation. And we go down the list and we start talking about, you know, midfielders we don't have or whatever the case may be, or should we have given Tierney a second contract because he's a crock and you know all the other things that we can lump into the explanation bucket when really the number one explanation is injuries. But Clive, in this game, the thing that struck me, we have seen games like this. You talked about the Palace game. I think it's a great example. Brighton, Brighton. the first Brighton game. Yeah. The first Palace game, we took the lead in the first Palace game and then proceeded to not be able to string three passes together. Ben White in the first half completed seven of 13 passes. Seven of 13. Aaron Ramsdale in this game completed 13 of 34 passes. And I I know we see it differently and where the culpability is. Set, well, I want to get your thoughts on the culpability of this, but I do believe that Newcastle gave us a gift in a way. We're a team struggling for goals. And we actually have the most counterattacking goals in the Premier League this season. And Newcastle said, we're just going to press the crap out of you. And the one thing that a press gives you is an opportunity, if you can play through it, to get easier chances to score. Now, saying if you can play through it is, <laughs> is the whole ball of wax. But we didn't try. I don't mind if you try to play through Liverpool's press and can't get around it. I don't mind if you try... Like, we didn't try. And I think we've seen acutely in this game the absence of Thomas Party because we couldn't play around the press. When when a, when a, when a El Nenny got the ball or a Shaka got the ball or a Ben White or a Gabriel or even a Ramsdale, under the slightest bit of pressure, they launched it. And Ramsdale had the kick that went off Almiron that almost went in his own net. He flapped at the cross that went through his hands. He had another pass that he tried to make one of his little faded up the midfield passes where he slipped and he looked pretty annoyed. You know, that was early on, but I thought his confidence started to go and he, I mean, how many times did he have the ball at his feet and the players were all around him for the short, short goal kick to play short. And he said, he waved them forward. Nope. I'm going to go long. I don't believe that was the plan. I think that was a reaction to the pressure and the stress we we're under to me, Clive, the whole story of this game beyond the physicality or the players are fatigued or the mental side of it was an inability to play through the Newcastle press. And I'm wondering if you want to focus on specific reasons why we couldn't do that. Because when I saw them pressing, there was a part of me that was like, this is perfect. We'll play right through it and we'll get some easy chances. And that never really happened. <laughs> who's going who's gonna to play right through it? Well, that, that, you, to be fair, I'm an idiot. You're right. Who is going to play through it? But we certainly didn't. We didn't. Yeah, we never who's, did. Who's going to play right through it? I, mean, well, I, I sometimes think people forget the team that we we support and we're watching, right? So I mean, is that why, an option? Can we do that? It's why <laughs> I choose that option. It's why three, two, three months ago, people were saying, "There's one player you don't want to lose from this system. Who would it be?" Right? And then you forget that. And then when he's not there, we say, "Well, why are we not playing through?" I'm thinking, flipping. I know why we're not playing through. Why would you play through? Do you think we got we got come dancing feet in centre midfield, go dance away from people? I don't think so. Right. So, um, no. so I would definitely look up and see what where their positions are and think. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's not going in there. But <laughs> they're on the prowl, waiting to pounce. Right, literally waiting for it to go in there. They're going to rush in and steal it. 
And they did. And when we played into Odegaard, for example, Bruno Gramaris put him on his ass and took it off him and punched it forward and said, see you later, son. Simple he as that. He had five I'm, passes in the first half, the fewest he's ever had in, in, in a half. By he was blocked off Odegaard. or smashed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's blocked off or smashed. And he was just put on the ground and he was he was ruffled off of his game. Right, um, Elneny didn't have the time he normally has, right? So Callum Wilson did quite a good job standing in his lane. And Shaka's sort of, he's not as ball dominant as he, in the first phase, as he as he once was in this system. He's slightly higher yeah. and, he, and he's slightly more, I get it, second phase, then we go. So he needs that first phase guy. We sometimes we would try to in the old days. In the old days, I'm talking three, four months ago, we would try to go to Lacazette, but he seems to have shrunk, so we can't go to him. We go out to Saka a lot; that people know that, and we're going out to Martelli a lot, you know. And the, what we try to do is sneak Nuno up the side and get him high and Smith throw tuck inside and Shaka sort of filling left side, left defence. I'm I'm with you, mate. You know, your what you say in principle and in theory is absolutely right. And if you're Newcastle, knowing Aaron Ramsdale can distribute the ball, you're going to kick it to us and get tight. Get really tight and stop Arsenal building any sort of five-a-side passing confidence by building up. We're a build-up team that transitions through the thirds. I'm not going to let you do that. I'm going to get all around you and make you go long. Are you going to go long? No, you won't because you're Arsenal. You're going to keep playing. You're going to try to play. When you kick it out, we're going to win the aerials as well. Because we've got Dan Burns, six foot seven, literally. And so we, they want us to go long, you know? So what we have to do is be really pacey and sprinty and really drive into behind. And so when people see stats like Ben White's passing, I think, well, I want you clipping the ball away. I want you clipping the ball into, into last serve because I need to get them off us. If I can get them off us, we can then start to build up. In fact, I want to skip the ball away more to get them off us, you know, because and then you can see, I looked at Scott's pass maps. I'd never seen a first half pass map like it. I don't know what that shape was because we were so stretched out. And you look at the second half pass map when we've got a little bit more compactness, that's much more like an Arsenal team. It doesn't really matter how we were effective in either half, but that tells you what's been done to us in the first half pass map. Look at our positions. We are all all over the place. We're being pushed back. Our distances are wide. We've got no build-up because we were gasping. We were gasping and blowing. Too many players not fit, not trained. On the on the team sheet, give you comfort, but not able to give you the authority, the, the zip, the speed, the carry, what we needed to really unsettle the very well-structured Newcastle team they had a game plan to really play us in our half. and So, yeah, mate, I agree with you in principle. I absolutely do. But I honestly can't see a solution on this day that would have been more effective with these group of players to get us away from it, apart from being a little bit even more direct to get them off us. And as soon as we got the ball in there last third earlier, I felt we looked okay. We just wasn't often enough with enough control and authority. Yeah. Look, the numbers from this game are gross. They're just gross, and it's difficult for me to analyze this game absent thinking that we froze because I can't explain it otherwise. I mean, I I can't really explain an Arsenal team that in the first half was outpassed 184 to 82, that had was outpassed in the attacking third 61 to 13, 
and outpassed inside the penalty area 10 to 1. I mean, you can't explain that just on talent, even with the limitations that we had. To me, it looks like what Granite Shaka said. And I want to come on to that. But, you know, it, it is this simple. I, I think we had a couple of, of wins we weren't expecting necessarily. Well, certainly the, the Chelsea away game. Then we beat Manchester United at home. West Ham and Leeds, fine. But, you know, and I don't want to hand wave those. But, you know, Chelsea were in a bit of a slump and they had other things that they were focused on and West Ham were focused on their European battle and, like, Manchester United are a very bad team. We got some wins. But we lost five times in April and May. We lost six of our last 11. And I think in that context, it shows you that while we were all praising Nketia and El Elneny and... Cedric, because we got a couple of wins, ultimately, ultimately, when we lost Tierney, when we lost Tomiyasu, when we lost Party, when Lacazette stopped being usable and we didn't have Aubameyang, we didn't have the talent to go get the points we needed. Because remember, like, you can say, oh, well, we got what we deserved. You know, we're a, we're a Europa League team, roughly. We needed three points. Three points anywhere in this season, and we're not a Europa League team. We're a Champions League team. And we came up short. And so, as fans, we can say we go again, and, you know, it's progress, and that's fine, you know, it, how, or you can, you know, cry in your beer, like, however you're inclined to deal with it emotionally is certainly your choice, but the club has to look at this and say, there was a big opening here. Let's make no mistake, because I, I want to make sure that, that I stress this, because I, I don't want to just sit here and sort of take it. Well, we had injuries, there was nothing we could do. Newcastle are going to get better. West Ham are a threat. Aston Villa are improving. There's a lot of money in the Premier League. Leicester will, uh, you know, I think continue to be an issue. Spurs, Chelsea, Liverpool, City, all of these teams are a threat to top four. And this season reminds me of, in a little way of the season that Leicester won the title in the sense that Newcastle don't yet have their money. Some teams that might have pushed us for top four had European commitments that hurt them. Manchester United were a dumpster fire, which, you know, I don't think people necessarily predicted. And there was this opening. You know, Spurs started the season really poorly under a terrible manager. And until Conte came in, you know, they had to basically make up a deficit. Remember, after after match day 27, we had like a seven-point lead on Spurs with a game in hand. I just think that I'm not, I'm not totally willing to just shrug and say, hey, it's progress. This is better than any of us predicted at the start of the season because this season presented us an opportunity to get somewhere we didn't think we could get. And I actually think next season looks potentially harder. And oh, by the way, there's a freaking World Cup right in the middle of it, which is going to throw the whole thing into disarray. So who the heck knows what that's going to mean for us. But ultimately, I, I, I think, Paul, like, I think Clive is spot on. We we didn't have the players we needed to play around their press. Fine. But like in this game, once we went behind then, they were just wearing their sadness on, on their sleeve. I, they were wearing the heartache. And I, I think if you look at how the game played out after that, it was fun for Newcastle. They were taking the ball off us. They were creating big chances. We went to a one at the back. And I get it. At some point, you have to play it like a cup final, right? Because you know you need the two goals at that point. So I have some I have some sympathy for that. But do you feel after we got behind, we really saw the extent to which this squad has not been managed to all 
play a role because Pepe came on and had, you know, let's let's just say it, uh, I'm out of here kind of performance. Lacazette wasn't able to add anything. Sambi Lakanga not in the plans. Like we didn't we didn't have the players to bring on who maybe were fresh and maybe were eager other than Martinelli to come turn this game around. And the game got really stretched and really silly after we went behind. Yeah, I mean, uh, like, it, it's just hard to pick a path through all of that. It's all correct. We don't have the players. <laughs> well, because it was a rambling mess, let's be clear. I, I covered many, many topics over a span of many minutes with no particularly clear point. Sure. I, I think I've spotted a clearing in the woods, though. Um, uh, go for that, please. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think it was what it was, which, as you say, is unsatisfying, but not necessarily incorrect. Um the one thing we could have done differently was our subs. Um, and I think it could have made a difference because there was a period of time there where we did, it did feel like we were potentially getting back into it. And it seemed to have something to do with Nuno charging up the left wing um, yeah. because he was getting through into good positions. He does seem to know how to put in a good cross from the left. We've seen that multiple times. And especially by the time we got two strikers on the pitch, um, it's like one guy who who at least has the legs to belt up and down the pitch. And like there's the foul throw incident and and you, there are people who think it was a foul throw and people who do, don't. And there are people who make the good point that most foul throws seem to be ignored anyway. But outside of the foul throw moment, which is not a reason I would – personally choose choose to fall out with Nuno. I think this was one of his best games for us. Um, like, I, I can't... Maybe there was some things in positioning that if we all went back and looked at, we could say blah, blah, blah. But I don't remember anything. I don't remember the problems coming down his side. I think he was good defensively. He might have been our best defender in a way. Maybe, maybe they just didn't target him. But he might have been our best defender... He was our best outlet in many ways. He was by far the most convincing. Like when he broke through, we were through. And we had them and we were in behind them. And I think the manager made a mistake by deciding the thing to do was to substitute Nuno. I know he'd brought on Cedric. And so it's tough to sub a sub. But Mm. life is tough. And (laughs) the season's on the line. And he has two coaches behind him who should have been shouting, leave Nuno alone, (laughs) Um, leave him on the pitch. We ended up having Martinelli trying to be a wing back and full back. Um, And then we ended up having Saka as a wing back and full back. So it was not a progressive move. In many ways, it was a regressive move. It didn't make us more attacking, even even on paper. Um. Uh, ironically, Cedric played potentially a significant role in their goal. Um, I'm, uh, I'm sure better minds than I can pick through it. I understand why he jumped out to the guy he jumped out and left El Nenny uh, covering the guy going down the other wing. Um, to my eye, I understand why he did it, but it also leaves a huge hole behind him uh, for them to run into it. Much faster players than El Nenny and... It Clive has thoughts bad. on Cedric. I will just let the listener know that Clive, Clive will, will momentarily be yeah. giving his and thoughts I'll, I'll wrap up Cedric my Suarez. side of it to say yeah. that we did have some choices to make. And I think in hindsight, or even like 
in present sight, right at that time, I'm like, no, 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 do, do not, whatever you do. Oh, Jesus, the board's gone up. He's taking off Nuno. Like, I was just like, yeah. don't take off Nuno. Yeah, there you I, go. I, I mean, this is the thing, right? Maybe you go to wingbacks instead. Maybe you, you know, you say, we're not playing around the press, so we'll we'll try to play up the wing and behind. We've got pacey guys and, you know, in Saka and, and Martinelli or whatever the case may be. I don't know. I, I don't think we had answers well, I, I have a thought, but let, let's do this. Let's get your thought on on that part of it, maybe the Cedric part of it as well, Clive, and then um, I will tell you about some things that can improve your life in this trying moment. Yeah, well, where do I start, right? Um, where do I start? I think the, when he took Nuno off, that told me it wasn't about how Nuno was playing. It was a planned substitution because yet someone needs to be watching the game, and so I, I don't get that one at all. We have to stretch him. and He's the fastest player in the team. So what, what are we doing there? On Cedric, the way he defends, I said this last night, so for the patrons, you're hearing this again, I'll be a lot more polite than I was last night. But um, for me, um, Cedric leads his hole far too quickly, far too early, with no aggression, no thought. Doesn't want to be there. He's either too high or he's too low. He... He's, I've said it before, but he's always on the edge of my TV screen. There was a Spurs player called Michael Dawson who used to be like this. Whenever he used to score goals against them, he was always just coming into the TV screen a little bit late. Now that's what Cedric is doing. So somebody on that first goal, he wasn't even in the screen. Uh, and and when I see that, I just think you're just causing problems. You're causing everybody else to shift over because you're just dancing around up there. So... I thought he was extremely culpable for Rob Holding's game against Spurs. The only, the only caveat I'll give him is, what's that instruction to push up on the wing-back? Well, the wing-back wasn't the problem. So you're taught as a defender, if someone's far away from your goal, you stay connected as a back four. He leave them in their half. He dances out, leaves Holding in the lights against Son. Right? And, and we all know what happened there. We end up being embarrassed on their manner. Right? So that bothered me. And then... A game later, he's dropped. Whew, thank goodness for that. Let's go. He comes on. As soon as he comes on, he starts dancing at the pitch. What? What are we doing? What are we doing? You know, yeah. it's just we didn't. You not, did he? Was he not watching the game from the sideline? Was he not watching what they were doing on that on that right back slot? As soon as you come on, I've got to defend this slot with my life. I can't dance up and go pressing on the people who are causing no danger. I haven't got the ball. You know, and and if you do go go up on um, on people, what you do is you block the line. You get really tight. You block the line. You get really physical. You don't just jog up there and say cheers after you. You know, and then you leave everyone else to react behind you. I mean, he's not for me, mate. He's not for me. He doesn't offer enough attacking ability. And, and what we spoke about last night, and something that's in my head, I don't want to go too heavy on it because. I try to be supportive of players while they while the transfer window's shut. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I don't the issue I have is between the approach to players who are trusted and who are not trusted. It's okay to whip up certain people off the pitch really quickly, even though they're progressing, getting better. Yet you leave people on the pitch who have not delivered for you over a consistent period of time. And you give them yep. responsibility and authority over our set pieces, corners, etc., etc. And he's never where I want him to be. Right? So I ask myself a question. Okay, we can all, we all, the three of us, we know each other a long time now. And we don't agree on every single player. So manager doesn't rate player as much as I rate player. Shock. It's going to happen. It's going to happen again and again and again and again. But I do feel 
we mustn't overtrust certain players and overburden, overplay them, and then not trust others. And then when you need to tap on the shoulder when you're one nil down away from home, your Champions League game, you bring on Pepe. I know exactly what I would do. I would say, I'll give it my best, boss. But yeah, you know I mean, you haven't really spoke to me for the last three months. Do you see what I mean? And that's not letting him off the hook because his performance was disgraceful. But it's obvious he's not on the bus, right? And he's not been allowed to be on the bus, etc. We can decide. You can decide what your scenario is. But so yeah, instability of that right hand side once Tommy Assi went off. And by the way, Tommy Assi wasn't fit. I watched the game again this morning, the first half, and he could barely run in that first half. I'm surprised he lasted as long as he actually did, because no one's beaten him on the outside, and he got beaten about three or four times. Right, so so it's not a day for conclusion on certain players because we know they'll come back better and. and but I do think there's a, a discussion to be had about players who are trusted and players who are not trusted and the gap between that. And that potentially yep. has made the squad smaller than what it actually was. But we've had that discussion before, haven't we, Elliot? And it's not yep. a massive one today, but it's something that's in the back of my mind, really, mm. particularly around Cedric. It's a massive one coming. And the only yeah, reason I, I say that is so. like... Yeah, because look, someone asked me uh, in a WhatsApp chat, <clears throat> like, how do I feel about Arteta? And I said... As a coach, I think he's brilliant. I really, really do. And I like what he says to us, to the fans. I like the way he speaks. Let's be clear. I feel more connected and close to Arsenal this season than I have in a while. Now, I can't I can't really decide if some of that is just that like the Emery era involved a lot of players, a lot of people at the club that were I just people I, I couldn't get behind, whether it was, you know, Raul at the top of the pyramid or some of the the aging players that we needed to move on. And then there was the COVID era and there were no fans there. And that felt like a very hollow experience. And this season with the fans back and, you know, I got to be there, which meant something to me. And, and you know, the young players that I love, there's a connection. If But that person also asked me, what are my doubts or concerns about Arteta? And I will say this, your priority always has to be winning. That has to be the priority. And, and and I get that culture matters. And one of the ways that you win is you get a lot of people, you try to co- collect a group of people that are on the same page that are rowing in the same direction. That's important. But you cannot go for that to the exclusion of talent. And all I'm saying here is we have shed some talent in this squad that I don't know that we replaced or had a plan to replace. And we've done it in the name of harmony or in the name of culture. It's not that I disagree with improving the culture or improving the harmony, but you cannot do it if you don't have a plan to replace the talent. And I will crib now from Andrew, from our blog's post, when you look at our main players since January 1st who are tasked with scoring goals, Gabriel Martinelli has one in 19. Emil Smith-Rowe has two in 18. Alexander Lacazette has one penalty in 18. Pukayo Saka has six in 20. And Enkedia has four in 20. But in 18 of those 20, he did not score. So four goals in two games, none in the 18. That is the goal of a football club, is to score goals. Because I don't know if this has been made clear, but that's how you win games. And you want to hear an interesting statistic? If you take the Premier League table and you sort by expected goals. You know what changes? Nothing. Nothing changes. It's the exact same table. And we just needed more goals. And without wanting to put too fine a point on it, we did chase some goals out of the squad. 
And maybe that had to happen or maybe it didn't. Your mileage may vary, but we didn't have a plan for putting them back in. And we didn't have a plan for making Pepe a part of that. Now, maybe Pepe couldn't have done it, but you had Aubameyang leave and you had Pepe become really a non-factor in the squad and you wind up with the stats I just read to you about who's scoring goals. And to be honest, it's not fair to 20-year-old Sacco or 20-year-old Martinelli or 21-year-old Smith Rowe or even 22-year-old Nketiah who all along the way you've said, I'm not willing to use you. I'm not going to keep you. I'm not going to, you're not part of my future, whatever the case is. Yeah, yeah, please. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's look at the last two games, right? Spurs Mm -hmm. and Newcastle United. Mm-hmm. We didn't lose either game because we didn't have goal scorers up front. We lost both games because we didn't play football in their third. I, so so can I just... I, fundamentally, I agree. I agree that what cost us in those last two games are injury crises to midfielders and, and defenders. But, but maybe someone wins you a game you don't... Des- like, look at Spurs. Spurs are a classic example of winning games they don't serve. And I'll say one other thing. No, no, maybe no, you're no, right, no. Paul. No, no, but- no. No, Spurs do not win games they don't deserve. And if you look at their XG, it's great. And if you look at a team that's done that all season, and in fact, for a few seasons, that's how they win games. W- right. Can I just, well, can right, I just uh, summarize Let me just make one, one super quick point, and then I'll turn it over to you, which is simply this. Paul, I agree with you fundamentally about the last two, but like... Maybe we win the Southampton game if we have more firepower. Or maybe we come back and win that Brighton game, which I think was winnable if we have more firepower. Or maybe, you know, you know what I so like. Or the, maybe the we play better. Is, like, I, I don't look. That, the problem with when. Generally, you, how we won was playing good mm-hmm. football. And when we didn't play good football, we didn't play in their third. And yeah, it would be nice if Son would run in there and score a goal you, you didn't have coming. I see that. But. Actually, our fundamental problem, the reason we didn't make top four in the end, was we didn't have enough players that played the good football that meant we were competitive. I mean, we just weren't competitive against Spurs. We just weren't competitive against Newcastle. We just weren't competitive against Crystal Palace. We just weren't competitive against... Well, we were starting to become competitive against Brighton. We were fairly competitive against Southampton, but we should have bashed them, like... We just didn't have our football on and we didn't have enough players around yep. the pitch to play in the final third. Uh, uh, would I have loved a better attacker? Yeah. Aubameyang wasn't scoring when he was at the club, so what's the fucking point? Well, so t- just to be clear, right, whenever you try to start to explain what would have happened differently if other things had happened, you are always able to craft the narrative you want because no one can prove you right or wrong, right? So I could say, well, once we developed a system that was working better, Aubameyang, because like, and Keddy has been playing kind of like Aubameyang would have, but he's a little... Look, my point is, you go down a murky road intellectually when you start saying, here's what would have been different if we did these other things. What we can agree on is we put a lot of pressure on the backs of young players to get us all the goals, and you know that that is something we'll be looking a at. A huge you, you part on this of that then, pressure I, was not having enough players to play the good football to put them into the positions to score goals, which they had been doing when we were playing good football. Clive? Yeah, I just want to summarise, basically. We're, we're, a, we're a, a collective offensive team without a without a 
point to the arrow, really, a number one goal scorer. We have no striker. So if Man City don't win the league, everyone's going to say they, they, should, they need a centre-forward, right? We haven't really got a centre-forward of any note <laughs> since Christmas. And uh, we've been making do with having midfielders score, defenders score, and be a bit more of a collective thing. And we've all known in the back of our mind that it may not be enough talent, right? It may not be enough talent. And so, you know, and I think... I'm going to say something that's really deep football analysis now. We need better Uh-oh. forwards. <laughs> we need better mm. forwards. And when you have when you have really good forwards, I'll tell you what happens, Elliot. People adjust to you because they have to. I was, I was going to say talent. that. It changes how they play you. It changes it how they play mm-hmm. you. And I keep saying, I know I sound boring to the people that listen to me, but the other team tells you about you. This is the first time you've been squeezed on since, um, since Lacazette's come out, really. You know, and we weren't able to get out, you know, and uh, so we got squeezed in a similar way. It comes back to our offensive talent and their health and fitness. And our young players have been absolutely squeezed dry. We got way more out of them than we should expect. Way more out of them. And they should be, regardless of how we're all feeling today, as far as I'm concerned, they're they're untouchable to me. And I include, they've given everything. I include Eddie in that, by the way. He's given everything he has. Right? And there's no more in there. We haven't got the depth of striking talent that strikes fear into other people. That We haven't got the half-chance merchants that make people step back. We have to craft beautiful goals. Right, The only time we get a, 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 a dirty goal is off a set piece, uh, off our centre-halves. Yeah. Uh, and when Gabriel went off yesterday, my heart sunk. I thought, who's going to score now? <laughs> you know what I mean, and so yeah. and so, literally, and I did. I thought, so it's the next phase of our development, right? And I think if we do that, people are going to have to fear midfields a bit more because they can, if once they can manipulate the play and get out of the press, they're going to fear Odegaard a bit more because more of his creative passes will lead to an actual end product. They're going to fear Saka a bit more, and they're going to fear whoever we buy on the left hand side or however manipulate strikers, etc. It's the next phase for us. This is why I'm. I've been up a bit longer than you two guys from the US. So I'm further along in my grief pattern, shall we say? You've yeah, just I'm woken still, up, so you're still, still bruised. Still you're still bruised. Yeah. I'm further along in my <laughs> and, grief. And from the wine and bourbon last night. <laughs> so you're still bruised. You're still fiery. You're still there. I'm a little bit further along. And, and I know, actually, the solution, I know what the solutions are. I know what they are. And they're not within the squad at the moment. And we just need to keep doing what we started to do last summer. What we did a bit of in reverse in January, we must continue the rebuild without any mm. favour, no nice guy contracts, continue the rebuild, get the people out that are not going to remember these games, remember the ceiling, and then do the business. Remove the players you need to remove and continue to rebuild. Otherwise, you're going to get judged in a slightly different way. If you haven't seen what we've all seen. Clive is further along and happier than us is that he's already doing his retail therapy in his head. He's out there shopping for new players. I am. I have been been on the videos today. I have. I think, okay, let's sort this shit out, (laughs) shall we? Let's sort this stuff out. And I've got my head. I'm, I'm well down the path of solutions. I'm well down the path of how to rebuild the midfield and our striker platform because that's the only way I know how, right, to get this in my mind, continuously improve and think about how we can make players better, reposition them, develop them, 
mesh them. That's the only way I know how to get through the the pain that everyone's going through at the moment. The way I would change the the transfer market, though, <clears throat> is that I, like there's so many busts in the transfer market, and that is such a danger. And I I think you should only have to pay for players if they deliver what you were expecting. Here we go. Because that's how Indeed does it. <laughs> Indeed has instant match. Have you heard about this? If you don't have the right talent, you can't you can't secure the success you need. We've seen that firsthand. Indeed is a fast, simple way to make sure you're getting the best talent. It's the only hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. The only job site where you're uh, guaranteed to find quality applications that meet your must-have requirements, or else you don't pay. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites, you need one powerful hiring partner that can help you do it all. And with Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates with resumes on Indeed that match your job description, and you invite them to apply. So they're like, oh, this company wants me. That's great. And you want them. Plus, you only pay for quality applications that meet your must-have requirements. One of the things I love about Indeed is that you you are able to create a stronger connection to the talent you're attracting, and you know you're going to pay when the service does what it says it's going to do. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. Start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid for a limited time. Go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire to claim your $75 job credit. Offer valid for a limited time. Indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. You need to hire. You need Indeed. Now, that's for your business. But what about for yourself? Just want to tell you quickly about AG1 from Athletic Greens. I'm using it. I love it. It is the best supplement slash vitamin slash adaptogen slash probiotic I've ever taken. I have a cabinet in my house that had one whole shelf. It was just stuff I take to try to feel better because... Today's my birthday and I'm turning beep years old. And at that age, you know, gut health, energy, mental acuity, um, just physical well-being are things you start to worry about or see declining. And so I was taking everything, but now I'm not because all I'm doing is one scoop of AG1 and I'm getting 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens. I'm getting energy, focus. It is uh, an anti-aging benefit, which, again, at the age I am now, which is beep, um, that's important. Helps your immune system. So, you know, when flu season rolls around, uh, if there's ever a global pandemic, I wouldn't imagine that would ever happen, but, you know, something you might want to consider. So I take it in the morning. It tastes great. It gives me that boost. Um, A couple of things to know, because I know people, whenever they are looking at taking something like this, well, I have a particular lifestyle need. Keto. Paleo, vegan, dairy-free, gluten-free, no problem. Works with all of those. Supports better sleep and recovery, mental clarity and alertness. Okay? Uh, Costs less than $3 a day, so cheaper than a fancy coffee and certainly better for you. Over five, uh, 7,000 five-star reviews, which is fantastic. And also a philanthropic company. For every purchase, they donate uh, to organizations helping to get nutritious foods to kids including No Kid Hungry. So in 2020, for example, they donated over 1.2 million meals to kids. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs, so I can take it with me when I go over to London tomorrow, with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash vision. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash vision 
to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Go to athleticgreens.com slash vision. Do it now, Clive. Is that enough of that? Indeed. Mm. Clive, you wanted to pick up, uh, sorry, Paul wanted to pick up on the previous point yes, uh, before I went off on a, a tangent of, let's say it, personal and business well-being that I think we all benefit <laughs> from. But please, go ahead. You guys make a great point about how better attackers would make us play better, would make Perfect. other teams All right, Clive, fearless. let's move on now. No, 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 you, you, you nailed it. We made a great point. I want to just stop there and move on. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, that, that's all I wanted to say. No, it wasn't. Okay. But you can say exactly the same thing about a strong defense, which we didn't have. A strong defense can win you a game you didn't deserve to win, can make the other team... Well, it can, it can draw you a game you didn't deserve to draw. <laughs> no, it can <laughs> it win you a game. the goal you need to win. No, it can win you okay. a game. You might have been drawing, and then you right. score yeah. a game later on, when you, a goal later on when you shouldn't have been in that game. A strong defense mm. is a platform for a team who builds out from... Like, you can make that argument absolutely about having... The player is the depth in the team from the back, building from the back as we do, having a platform, giving the team confidence. You can make the same argument about our midfield and our midfield options have been lacking. So, like, I agree. I would love to have a top-level forward, and he would have made us better, and he might have been the reason we got our three points, a better midfielder, but in particular a more robust defense because – We've been conceding goals in every game down the stretch, two goals at a time. Um, yeah. And you ride out tough parts in games, and a defense can build, can provide support to your midfield and your attack. Tommy Yasu in place, uh, Tierney in place, getting you up the pitch. Uh, we've seen how they build into our pods on the right and the left, and when they're not there, like the forwards you have are going to struggle. So I think you can argue... I don't disagree with your point, but I still think get your football on and your attackers are going to look a hell of a lot better. And that's yeah. now we're looking at these young forwards and saying, well, we asked too much of them. Well, we did, but mostly by not giving the foot, giving them the football from the overall team structure, from getting into the final third and yes. from being secure defensively. It's all, it's, all in, it's all interconnected, right? If you're a defender yeah. and you scored... And it's, it's, it actually tells you about the identity of this team. If you're a defender and we scored, they think, right, we've got something to hold on to here. Do you know what I mean? Yep. If you're a defender in this team and, and we've conceded, our defenders, <laughs> some of them are, are better playmakers. <laughs> and so yep. they immediately go into attack mode. Right? So, um, and so it, it's, all, it's all interconnected. When we have all our parts in place, we're not bad. We haven't invested in attack. We haven't got a depth in terms of field and we struggled with the depth at, at, at right back in particular, in my opinion. And I think everybody listening knows that right now. And if we improve the quality and depth in those areas, we, we can have a better shot at it. I think there's a, a bit of fear out there. Everyone looking at Newcastle, who had a great advertisement on TV with flags waving to say all those players around Europe, look, we're not an outpost. Come and join us and we can pay you. Right? So that's a great advert for them. We know West Ham are going to are building. You know they could. What if they what if they buy Calvert Lewin? Their building. You didn't. You didn't get Villa into your list earlier on, Elliot. Do you know what I mean? And um, I, I thought I did, but you but may have. Clear, you may have done. Plenty of teams yeah. to be scared of. So don't there worry. Is, there I is. There is. And it's up to us to just do our work. I think the fear of the future is what really overcame us as fans, and I think overcame some of the players as well. The opportunity was big. I agree. 
And we just overcame by, by it, right? And I think it affected our approach. It's something I wanted to touch on, right? If you're looking, we all have our blame index and our, and our tool bag of things. But we're talking about the team and where they are on the fitness level and where they are health-wise. And we're guessing. We're guessing based on their performance levels we're seeing right now that Swiftflow's not quite right and, and why it's not quite right, et cetera, et cetera. But the manager knows, and he knows exactly where these people are. And I have to ask myself a question. I, I, by the way, I'm, I'm asking you guys a question because I'm not sure I'm right here. Um, there needs to be a level of pragmatism when you know you're not quite at it to just stay in games for as long as possible to try to do it another way? Or do you stick to your absolute principles and say, I'm going to go down the way we always play? Do you know what I mean? And I think it's maybe a question that's maybe easier to answer when we've just lost two games on the trial. But I think there was a potential to be a bit more pragmatic at Spurs and be a little bit more... I agree with that. Yeah, in particular, because I think that hurt and, and we chinned ourselves there. And we thought we were just going to take them on their ground and we didn't quite have it. We should be a bit more pragmatic and let the pressure grow on them. And that forces into a huge pressure game at Newcastle, their last home game of the season. They've got their families there. They want to clap them off, etc. And we walked into that scenario knowing only one result would do. And I think a level of pragmatism and experience about approaching these two games, I think could have been could have been utilised. But some people will say, and maybe I would say as well, because I like I like what, how we're trying to play with the right personnel, that sticking to our principles is the most important thing. But I just want to see what you guys think. Well, the only thing I'll say about sticking with our principles is like, I, I have said many times, I'd be fine playing five at the back against Spurs, sitting back and defending, making them break you down. But the funny thing is, we stuck to our principles at Spurs, and it was working. The reason I have a little sympathy for the Spurs result is, the one thing we couldn't afford was to fall behind. We've spoken about that before. And if Spurs got a lead in the Derby, we knew it was going to be trouble. But they, they were, they were gifted a lead in the Derby. They, <laughs> exactly. That's my point. Now, in the Newcastle game, I think the opposite thing. I think the Newcastle game is a great example of if we had stuck to our principles, we would have fashioned the opportunity, the openings to beat them. Now, maybe you could say we didn't have the players to do it. That is a problem. But the only way we were going to beat Newcastle yesterday is to play around that press. That was it. You know, you're going to go long to five foot seven Saka and five foot eight in Kedia and five foot eight or nine Smith Rowe. No, you're not going to. You're not going to do that. And the thing that I saw in general, this was a very fatigued team because when they did have the ball deep, which they didn't. That's the other thing. What What are our principles? We pass the ball. We control the ball back to front, and we press when we get opportunities. We also never got a chance to really test Newcastle playing out from the back because they never had the ball at the back. It was coming right back at us over and over and over again. So we were really in the shit. I want to get to what Shaka said, though. Excuse me. Now, I want to say something about this. I overreacted to Shaka's comments. (laughs) No, I want to say something about myself. So if you listen to the instant reaction over on Patreon or if you follow my, my Twitter feed, I overreacted to this. And I sort of learned a lesson about this, which is always watch the video because the transcript gives you an impression that the video doesn't. Because the transcript is, if somebody is not ready for this game, stay at home. It doesn't matter about the age. You can be 30, 35, 10, 18. If you're not ready for that or nervous, stay on the bench or stay home. Don't come here. We need people who have balls. We didn't deserve to be on the pitch today. We didn't do what the game plan was. Not listening to the coach, doing our own thing. What happened was a disaster performance. 
And when I read that, I thought, wow, he's calling someone out or he's calling his teammates out in the media. That's not good. Then I watched it. Then I watched it. And you see the question, right? And the question is, it seemed like you guys were nervous and uh, you were just a little <laughs> bit scared. And is, is that true? Were you scared? Were you nervous? You know, let him down the primrose path. And he says, well, if somebody's not ready for this game, stay at home. It doesn't. And you see what he's saying. And it's frustration at if that's the case, then that's not acceptable, right? Um, and so I, I watched the video and I actually think it was meant more collectivist than individual. I felt that it was a perfectly normal, natural answer that was both truthful and fine. So it, it was a little lesson for me in reacting around context. But Clive, it's, it's still the point that here you have the de facto captain of the team, I think everybody feels that way, saying, you know, we didn't follow the manager's game. The, 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 thing, the funny thing is, he talks about if you're not ready for that or you're nervous, stay on the bench or stay at home, don't come here. Let's set that aside because I think there were nerves. I don't even think that's beyond, I don't even think that's debatable. But the interesting thing is we didn't do what the game plan was, not listening to the coach, doing our own thing. What happened was a disaster performance. I, I felt his frustration in that answer was essentially what we've been discussing, which is we have a plan of how we wanted to play this game. We froze up a little and we didn't follow that plan. Now, my interpretation in the moment was I felt that started with Ramsdale. That was me. Again, I'm not putting that on anyone else. That's just me watching the game in the moment with all the emotion and the anxiety. I was like, why are you launching it every single time? It's coming right back on us. But what are your thoughts on, on this, these Shaka comments and, and the idea that setting aside who the players were and the talent, the fear, just that and the, at the end of the day, they didn't do what they were asked to do. And why did that happen? And why didn't we correct that? What, what are your thoughts on what he said there? Yeah, we don't we don't know what they were asked to do. I, I, I can only That's analyze the, the <laughs> I can only analyze the game and say, oh, by the way, we don't want to be playing here. We don't want to be playing the game here. That's where they want us to play. And I can see Newcastle's game plan and I can say, well, we can't play here. That can't happen. We we got goals to score. And playing in outside your box is not going to get you the goals that we need. And um, that's that's zero shots from the twenty right. seventh minute to their right. goal, Clive. Zero shots. We, we didn't. We, we didn't get. We didn't get where we wanted to be. Yeah. It's a game of rugby, mate. It's a game of territory, and we got out of territory. They kicked mm. to the corner, basically. <laughs> got corners. Yeah. They kicked to the corner, rugby style, and kept us down there with a line out. <laughs> right. So, uh, and so, so I'm not sure what the game plan is. Elliot, you could say, you know what? I think we should be playing. Sure, I blame this person. I blame that person. I I can't argue with you, and I, and I will not. Um, <laughs> Um, but I do think it's interesting that there were things that obviously the players were told to do and they didn't execute, whatever that was. But I can only say, talk about the fundamentals of the game and the ability to win duels, the ability to win second balls, first balls, aerial balls. We lost all of those things. So no matter what we all say and feel, we get encouraged when we take the ball off people and run past them and make and break their plan and break their system. They were as tight as a drum in the first half of Newcastle's distances compared to ours. We did not challenge them. We did not win anything. We did not unsell them. And so I can't tell you how we were meant to play Elliot because we were playing our scraps. In fact, the fact we had such a high shot count tells me exactly what Newcastle are, which was the 14th team in the league. They were still holy. They paid, They played their best game of the season against us, their last home game of the season, when the crowd was up for it live on TV. And we still had shots. We didn't have the ability to execute. We didn't yep. have the quality to execute. 
But it is a slightly worrying statement, and I'm glad that you sort of not say retracted because who cares, right? We always we say many, 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 many things on here. But it was I did post a video for that same reason, Elliot, that I think the quotes look so different to the video itself. And I think it just opens up some previous divisions that are out there regarding Granit Xhaka, who is our player of the month, by the way, and voted by the fans, and we all loved him after Manchester United. So it's a difficult one to assess, but there's he obviously was, he was some our instructions. Best player yesterday, I thought, too, by the way. I mean, not that th- there's very, very... I mean, it's him or Saka, like slim pickings, period. But Yeah, there, there, yeah there was a few, in, in my opinion, that I think showed things that we can hang on to for next season. And these are the days to really look at people, right? And say, yeah, when it was all going off at Newcastle, where were you? Did you show? Can I trust you? And these are the days that you really have a look at people. Don't look at their last pass. Look at their attitude and approach to the game. You know, yep. in a game where we didn't yep. pass it, don't look at their pass numbers. Look at their attitude and approach to the game and, and were they up for it. And a few people went missing and a few people stood up and tried their best, and I remember who they are. Paul? Yeah, so I think we've really unreasonable expectations, not you, me, and Clive, the rest of them, the world, on what a player is supposed to say. Nothing when... endears you to the listener like <laughs> criticizing them. <laughs> Fuck them. Um, yeah, it's on like, the mug. <laughs> your, the season... <laughs> <laughs> your season has just collapsed, right? Your hopes, your dreams. You think we were good at imagine how the players feel. You're in the dressing room. Yeah, you saw it at full time. You saw yeah. it. You're yeah. absolutely disgusted, bereft. And then somebody taps you on the s- shoulder and says, uh, actually, somebody needs to go out and do a media interview. And you're like, what the fuck? And they look around yeah. and like everybody looks at Chaka and Chaka says, okay, I'll go. So he goes out. And what is the most important, the most true thing he says in the interview? I think it's the first words. I don't know what went wrong, right? That is his initial statement, and which yeah. is totally and utterly reasonable. And then the guy puts the microphone in front of him and says, do you think it was the young guys who let you down? And he goes in, he addresses I. Yeah, that's right. That's what the leading question was. Was it because you have a young team? That's yeah. right. And then he says, I don't care what age you are. And yep. he says it shouldn't matter. Uh, and like, I'm not debating the rest of that. The point is, like, the most important thing he says is true. He doesn't know. They don't know what went wrong. Not at that point. He might have some thoughts, but they're not well developed. And Gary Neville, he's been in a weird mood for a season from the Brentford game, from the transfer window. Uh, like in the Spurs game, when we when it was getting really heated, he's like, oh, it's going to kick off here. Oh, Arsenal rattles. And then the camera happens to go to Chaka, who looks pissed off about stuff. But w- there's a scale, right? And we know the scale. And for Granite yeah. Chaka, he looked relatively in control, but pissed off. And Gary Neville's like, oh, he's going to, oh, he's got one in him. He's going to kick off here. And it's like, I don't know what's going on. But that created a a narrative that's going to go, like there's a plus side to that narrative, which was after a little while, people realized Neville was on one himself. And it kind of brought us back, not back together and everything's fine, but at least back kind of a little bit more into hang on a second there's a bit more two sides to this, not just that situation, but the overall situation. I think he did it, 
did us in the short term a little bit of a favor in that it kind of knocked the ball into the middle and then we could have more reasonable uh, hand-wringing about what went wrong. Um, but, like, yeah. I just think we got to be careful with, especially after huge games, reading too much into these things. Even if somebody had said terrible things, you still got to take a step back and say, hang on, he just came out of the dressing room at, at, and let's, let's just see, let's, let's give it a little bit. Let's see the context. Let's see what else comes out. And, and yeah, in the end, he didn't really say anything that was not on the um, that people I didn't think, agree with. I think Gary Neville has, has really hung, revealed himself, hasn't he? He's revealed his biases. And when yeah. you saw an opening with Shaka, he absolutely two-footed it and tried to get in there. And you can almost yeah. see like Dave Jones and Carragher saying, are you sure, Gary? <laughs> Did you yeah. hear the question <laughs> yeah. appropriately? And um, and it was one of those things. And he showed his biases. And, and he basically called him a disgrace. And because that's how he feels, and that's the narrative he's been pushing for a long time. He yeah. doesn't. He said he doesn't trust Arsenal. He doesn't understand our transfer policy, and and I'm afraid he has got a very prominent role in English yeah. football. He is, and I don't mind him facto, being partisan, Clive. I just expect no. to come with that some a little openness and a, a, a lack of mean spiritedness. I don't mind that he's partisan. Uh, you know, I can like Carragher is partisan. Uh, other guys yeah, Carragher, be partisan. Yeah. He has his Jeremy moments too. Jeremy Carragher, he does it from a point of analysis. I think yeah. he's a very good anal- an analyst, is that the right word? He really does yeah. analyse the game really, really well. Gary Neville is, has got a very strong voice in a more political way, right? And yeah. if you think about his role he played in the Super League, you know, I, I've often I said this before, he, he's, whether you like it or not, Ryan, he's a major voice in football a major voice and he controls a lot of the narratives around the game and he has decided even today he said also should have played the game in january his costumes top four and he sent that tweet out there and he's fishing for responses and that's the narrative I think he's justifying got, himself because of the kickback yesterday yeah, he, he's, but he's, on he's, that he's, we would have been three points further back earlier and guess what, what he's saying he's had to play this weekend too sooner than us so yeah. So what? Yeah, what he's saying is we may have recovered better if we just didn't have that game towards the end of the season. It's cost you this game. He's just throwing it out there. And he's creating a storm amongst us uh, as Arsenal fans, which may end up reunifying us, <laughs> shall we say? And, he, and yeah. I know Elliot, I can see yeah. you going quiet there, and you're thinking, but this is a major point for the fan base today. He's, and I do think it, it's an important point because narratives create reactions to referees to decisions they're humans and they all see this they all see these our, our perception and i'm afraid we, we're suffering for it i i truly believe that we're suffering for it and we need to just focus on our business focus on our work get back to work and focus on the squad rebuild so our quality and talent and our coaching ability we hope to see improve is the only thing we're talking about what we're actually doing on the yeah. grass I'll go a little bit behind the scenes and then I want to move on to talk about where our squad is before we get out of here. And we're going to go a little bit long today because it's, it feels like a postmortem, even though we're not there yet. And I want to reiterate that, like, I still love this fucking club and this community. I love supporting Arsenal. I love the highs and lows. I can't wait to be there on Sunday. 
Do I wish it was a, a coronation, a celebration of back getting back in the Champions League? Sure, but like, let's remember too, it's just Europa League versus Champions League. That's not what we want. We want to win titles. We want to win trophies. And so can we still build a winner from the platform of the Europa League? Sure we can. Hell, we could go win the Europa League. Like the funny thing is, once we get over the frustration of this, and it's going to take a while, the irony is we give ourselves two paths next season to achieving something because we we are going to just be in the semifinal of the Europa League. You know what I mean? Like we're, we're going to be in that semifinal. That's how that competition works. Other than the, the season we went out to Olympiacos in the COVID, you know, in the COVID stoppage, we've been in the Europa League, what, three times? And we've made two semifinals and a final other than the Europa League one. I mean, the uh, Olympiacos one. So we're going to be there. But I, I want to go behind the scenes to, to a point that you guys are talking about on Gary Neville. If you are a content creator and you're listening to this, or if you've been on social media even, you don't have to have a big account. You can have 50 followers. Over time, certain things get you retweets. Certain things get you clicks. Certain things get you views on YouTube. Certain things get you get you shares on TikTok. And let's face it, much like the rat to the morphine bottle, you know, you start to learn. Even if it's, I'm not saying it's conscious. People think it's conscious. It can be subconscious. You learn which things get the retweets or the clicks or the views or the shares. And over time, you tend to do the things that's going to give you the dopamine rush of, wow, this video hit a million views or this tweet got 50,000 retweets or this TikTok video got 100,000 views or whatever it is. And I think the media is, is sometimes guilty of that too. Because Gary Neville is a very intelligent analyst of the game. I really believe that. I have seen Gary Neville be an exceptional analyst of the game. And I've seen times when Gary Neville really liked Arsenal and spoke well of Arsenal. But we know, we know what brings the clicks. We know that Arsenal are clickbait. We know that there's certain things that are going to get people clicking, watching, sharing, engaging. You know, the whole joke on Twitter, ah, take this ratio. You know who loves ratios? Media organizations. They love a ratio because it means they're being talked about. It means they're being shared. It means they are in the narrative. They are in the conversation. And they're having to try harder and harder to be in that conversation because we have more and more options of what to view. And I will say this. One of the things I try really hard to do when I come on this podcast is really make sure I'm saying things I believe. Maybe they're hot takey, maybe they're not. But I just want to make sure I really believe them that I'm not saying them to get a rise, that I'm not saying them to get a click. So if you ever find me saying something like, that's outrageous, I'll promise you this. I am saying it because I believe it. And it may be dumb and it may be wrong, but it is really what I believe. And I do think that there are people out there, and Neville may be falling into that now, who have started to get the hit from the morphine bottle of the Arsenal clicks, and they kind of know What's going to get the engagement? And even yeah. if it's subconscious, they're going for it. Yeah, Clive? Yeah, Arsenal sells, right? Uh, Arsenal yeah. sells. If you, I, I watch good content creators, and when they put Arsenal in the title, crikey, they, they're, they're, <laughs> their views go through the roof. They really do. And they don't want to admit it on Sky, but we sell. The drama around the club, the engagement around the club is massive yep. compared to what we've achieved in recent years. It's absolutely massive, and everyone knows it. And we just got to hold our ground, right, and focus on ourselves, not focus on everybody else. I totally agree with you, Elliot. I think it's a really good point. I'm sure people know it, but 
it's the truth. Arsenal sells. As soon as you mention them, things start to move for you. And that's what's happening right now. Gary Neville's moving into that. Into that, and I and I like Gary Neville. I, I do. I don't like. I like some of the things he said. I find it really interesting. But he's starting to move into that level of content creation, which is not analysis, but more acting. And I don't want to be. That's not what it's about for me. He's better than that. He hasn't got to be an actor. He can just. He can just be better than that. And I think he's really taken a downward step, in my opinion. Can I say yeah, something about enough. Neville, uh, please? Quickly, yep. mm-hmm. Neville respects managers who are senior, who are experienced. The Ferguson thing, one of the reasons he was picked by Ferguson game in, game out, year in, year out, was not because he was a great player, but because he was an obedient serf. He's very much kowtowing to the experienced, knowledgeable, know-all manager. He defended every manager including Jose Mourinho, despite the fact we all realized he was a spent force and didn't have it anymore. Even today, Gary Neville talked about him, but we got Jose Mourinho, a proven winner. But like, he just can't differentiate between experience. He never calls for a manager to be fired. Or put it another way, he always defends a ma- manager who's under attack uh, in, from from even from the Wenger days. He would defend Arson right to the end. Right well, now, Arsenal. I thought he always had it in for. Ar- he ha- he has this thing about experienced manager. Ole was a friend of his, but also experienced. Uh, Louis Van Gaal. He he defended. He's defended every manager at every club as long as they're senior. The problem for him is Arteta is younger for him than him. He knows him. He looks like a kid to him. And Neville has a thing about respect for his seniors. And it's just, yeah, some people yeah. are wired well, that way. And Neville tried to be a coach at a young age, and it went spectacularly badly for him. And maybe there's some jealousy there. Let's move on from that, though, because honestly, that's the that's the circus around the club. That will always exist. I, you know what? I'd rather they're talking about us because it means we're relevant. So let's move on from that for a minute. I think a, a final point I want to talk about, though, is just where we are as a squad. And can you guys just humor me for a second? I'm going to give an argument that I'm not saying I'm sure of, but one that I think is fair. If you were doing an exit interview for this season, one of the ways you do an exit interview, one of the ways you you do a performance review, is you say, here were your goals. Here's how you tried to achieve them. How do you think that worked out for you, right? Now, in terms of our goals, our goals was, was to get back in the Europa League and we have, right? That Realistically, that was it. But let me just say this. I look at how we built this squad and I say, we spent a lot of money last summer. We knew that Kieran Tierney's fitness was an issue, so we prioritized getting someone in who could play behind him. How'd that work out for you? Well, we didn't totally trust the guy we bought, and we wound up using other options that cost us points. Well, we knew that center back was a priority. How'd that work out for you? Pretty good. We got a center back. He was good. It worked. Great. No problem. Um, We prioritized right back. How'd that work out for you? To be fair, brilliantly, he was kind of a crock. We didn't expect that. Fine. Um, goalkeeper. I think there's an interesting debate to be had here. We felt we needed someone to upgrade on Leno. What was the upgrade we needed on Leno? Not shot stopping. That was never the issue. We needed ball playing from the back. We wanted to be a team that could play back to front. So we added Ben White because he can do it and Tomiyasu can do it. And we added Ramsdale. And Clive, I just want to ask you this. 
Aaron Ramsdale started the season in spectacular form as a shot stopper, but also showing us a range of passing that Burton Leno never had. Since January, kind of quietly, I think Aaron Ramsdale's form has at least been open to question. And it was a big expenditure on a position we felt we had to upgrade with a perfectly usable guy behind him. And what's interesting to me is forget the shot stopping. Some of that sort of confident bantering, you know, bravado that he had went away a little bit. We saw that last night with the cross that goes through his hands and the ball he kicks off Almiron almost into his own net. But it's really, he is now in the top six or seven in launch percentage in the league. He has opted to start going long more. And I'm not here saying Ramsdale was a mistake. Ha ha. All I'm saying is, is the Ramsdale season ending as more of a bit of a 50-50 season in your eyes in terms of post-January? Because for me, I think next season we go into the season with Ramsdale needing to see a return to some of the, the good passing range we saw at the beginning of the season and that confidence and bravado. I, I don't think we can just go, we've got our star goalkeeper for the future check in the box. I think some questions have maybe emerged in that particular area. And I'm wondering if you think that's an overreaction. Well, you're not going to stop, right? Because you've decided that he's the guy. <laughs> he said it last night. No, no, no. Well, last so, night, I, I do think, he, look, he went long a lot. Whether yeah, but I, I explain, I explain, I explain or, that to you why. And I, I bet he's got a lot longer since Thomas Party's come out of the team. I bet he's got a lot longer since we've lost our rhythm and lost a bit of confidence, right? So let me ask you point and, blank: Do you think he's been great since January? Or is it? Well, fair I told to you, I don't. I, I went to Liverpool game and I thought he was at fault for both the goals. Strangely, I think he got injured in that game. He then went to international break and was yep. did not play for England. He would have been England's number one goalkeeper if he had not been injured at the international break. That's where he was. And that was, I think, was that April. Early, late March, early April, that late period March. was. And I think he's been a little bit indifferent since then. He looks a little bit skittish around the edges, but he's one of the one of the successes of the season for me. He's okay. like Bakaya Saka, he's on the young player of the year list. Um, and if you look at our, you know, there wasn't so long ago people saying he was the signing of the season. None of us knew he could kick the ball like this when we signed him. None of us did. So we're saying like distribution was a big thing. We didn't know this when he signed. We so let's not pretend we did. But we right? presume so, that's what we were looking for. No, right? we, we didn't. Did. No, none of us said it. Mm-hmm. Not one of us said it when when he signed. And I did not. And I, and, and so basically, he's brought a, he's brought a whole new identity. And I'm, we we mustn't do. We mustn't strip the the good from the season. We all said we're a young team. There's going to be bumps in the road. And I suppose Elliot, you're just outlined this is a bump in the road, to be fair to you, right? This is a bump yeah, in the okay. road for, yeah, for I mean, one, I'm, I'm not saying I'm not saying it's terrible. For one player. <laughs> and I'm actually going into defensive mode, right? Because you are because yeah. because I feel he's a massively positive positive influence on the group. But he's also massively emotional and he almost reflects the group. They want this. Right? They really want this. And they they are they seem happy to be playing for us. They can't play brilliant all of the time, but I really like him and players like him that have come in this season. And as you said earlier, you've never felt as connected. And I think Ramsdale is one of those very key reasons why you feel as connected as you have done versus other previous Mm -hmm. years. I agree. We have many faceless players that don't talk, don't connect, don't appreciate. 
I, I, I went to an away game. I never go to away games. I went to one this year. You know why? Because I, I like this team. I, I like them, and I want to go to more. You know, and uh, one of the best, I'll tell you now, one of the best bit of feedback I've ever had about the podcast was at West Ham and a guy came up to us and just sort of said, you guys, you know, you do analyse, but you never, you never jump fully away from supporting the team. And I thought, you know what, I I quite like that. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Because we do criticise, but everyone knows that we're true fans. We're not saying it for, for effect, right? So that was a huge thing. And and one of the reasons why I so can't wait to go on Sunday is that I, I like the group. I like the group, yeah. and he's and he's part of that, right? And um, th- I've been many teams we can talk about in the past, Elliot. That mate, we watch them, we support the badge, but uh, after, I don't always like the players. You know, I've been quite negative in previous years about this. That's not the case today, despite the imperfections, despite the gaps we know that are there. I, I'm, I'll give him, I'll give him a. A big up, shall we say, because he wasn't meant to be here uh, so quickly and he's really done well this season. It, it is interesting. <clears throat> we were in the low f- uh, 50% launch percentage from goal kicks with Leno last season. And Ramsdale's at 74% this season. Yep. I, I think it's interesting. And, you know, I, I I don't have the ability to dive into it to understand why or when it happened or if it was an instruction or if it had to do with injuries. We but launch it's one from to keep goal an eye out kick, for. but we play out from, from the kicks, back yes. in open play. That's the breakdown. That's that's true. He, mm-hmm. and, that's and true. Like he, he passed one person forty percent from passes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And the one thing that Tim did call early on uh, in terms of his distribution was maybe part of the reason we got Ramsdale is because Leno can't kick long. I mean, he can't. Um, so this gave us all sorts of options in all sorts of games. Remember those times he pinged it to Martinelli on the wing? Um, like he pings it to Saka a lot. Saka does okay. We're there for the knockdowns. You might think, oh, well, Saka isn't six foot two. But actually, if you get the players around him, it's a tactic. Uh, we had to- we are, What we're really missing at the moment is having Tommy Yasu up on the right wing for those kickouts to win those headers. Um, like... It does allow us to mix things up. So I agree with you. Uh, Ramsdale's been off for the la- for the run-in. He hasn't been at his levels. I've, I don't have an issue in his ability to mix it. Like Ramsdale talks about in an interview that he's been told he can mix it up. He can pick when to go short, when to go long. It's kind of his call. And he does mix it up. When it's there to be had and he's feeling good and they're feeling good, he goes shorter. And when it's not working, he goes longer. Is he getting it right at the moment? And is he in form? He's probably a little off at the moment. But yeah. I think he gives I'll us just give way you, more options. I'll just give you a comparison. Like, so Ramsdale's at 73% launch from goal kicks. Allison for Liverpool, 45% this season, 32% the season before, 39% the season before. So they're, they're you know, and I'm only bringing that up because Clive had asked in the chat. But like, to be clear, I'm not saying Aaron Ramsdale failure. Like that's not, that's not that's not the message here. I'm saying that's one where I think he needs to get back to a little bit of where he was at the start of the season and maybe just maybe there's been a little dip. It's been a psychologically I grueling think, season. Players have been missing. I want I don't want to get bogged down on Aaron yeah, Ramsdale. Yeah. I just no, I think I think what your point on that, not Ramsdale so much. I think this is where this is what I'm trying to go through today, right? Is looking at the players. Say, okay. Which one of you are just like 
worn out 23 year old there's a little bit mentally frazzled that could do uh, okay maybe he's one of those there's a couple others out there that just look a little bit bereft at the moment and which one of these guys are just not going to improve that we have seen this story before you know that are forcing us to play a certain way that we can't change and we can't create exits for example we haven't got the midfield travelers for example we haven't got agility we haven't got the right level of physicality and competitiveness potentially we haven't got any height in the top part of the pitch we lost i don't know how many 13 out of 17 aerial duels yesterday these are the things that i'm looking at and saying okay this is part of the lessons learned if we can start to fix these things then when people then cotton on to how we want to play we can we can answer it and because I, I couldn't see an answer on the pitch yesterday unless he went to Bukaya Saka. I couldn't see an answer. And we can't be that reliant on individuals to have hot moments. And so there are messages being sent by this team. There are messages being sent by the others, which are talent-limiting, ceiling-limiting messages. And it's, it's, the, it's the club's job now to add a new ceiling, differing ways of playing, so we can't be kicked off the pitch like you were at Palace. Not saying we were kicked last night, but you know what I mean by that. Pressed off mm, the pitch. Yeah. So we have the ability, ingenuity to get away. We have the agility. We have the speed in wide areas. And we have the size where we need it in offensive spaces to really make people think differently about Arsenal Football Club. And when we have that, we'll go to the next level until we get found out again. And then we'll have to evolve again. But right now, evolution has stopped. Right? And we just have to yeah. wait till the summer. Look, when you wind up with a goalkeeper who is 38th in the Premier League of all goalkeepers who played in post-shot expected goal percentage and you have the launch percentages, we said, like, we all had eyes. He was brilliant. He was one of the high points of our season at a point. I'm just saying I think that there's something there that we that we might think about as we head into next season without wanting to raise alarm bells. Now, at the other end of the pitch, Paul, in this exit interview we're conducting, this is where the inquiry has to happen. Because if we say you targeted two set, you targeted center back, you targeted right back, you targeted a backup left back, and you targeted a goalkeeper, and for the most part, all that worked out fine, except for the backup left back, you targeted a midfielder to boost that group. He wound up being someone you didn't trust when it came down to it. You targeted a, a creative player. That worked brilliantly. I love Odegaard. I don't care what his shortcomings are. I think he's brilliant. But we are finishing the season really without a striker, without a genuine striker of the kind of quality. I mean, I'll put it this way. I've been following Arsenal since the early 2000s, and I cannot think of any period at any time that I followed Arsenal that we went <clears throat> half a season with striker options that are as limited, really attacking options that are as limited as what we have right now. And so do you look at that I know you've already said it's how we play that matters. And to be fair to you, from December to that international break at the end of March, we were creating chances and scoring goals. I grant you that. I think when we had party, when we had tyranny, when we were playing well, we were creating chances and scoring goals. But to me, the whole ball of wax now is we have to get more. It is worth pointing out that the last three seasons, we've scored 56, 55, and 56 goals. And so... We can talk about all the reasons why and how it's different and all the ways it's changed and all the ways we look better or worse or injuries or this or that. But that needs to be closer to 65 or 70 or 75 goals. That's the trick, Paul, right? I mean, it's still... Yeah. The irony is going into this season, we would have said we need more goals. And I cannot help but find myself saying coming out of the season, 
We need more goals. We didn't find them for one reason or another. Yeah, I mean, you may remember that I spent quite a bit of the end of the summer saying, where are the goals going to come from? Um, yeah. Adding up the numbers saying, like, here's what, uh, here's how other clubs get to 70, 68 goals. I don't see where it's coming from. And for a while, our midfielders stepped up. Um Look, we should ha- we went we tried to get a striker in January. We wanted to get the striker we wanted and we weren't going to take a scrub, a fill in, a backup striker, and maybe there just wasn't the right backup striker available. So the club did identify that goals were an issue. We also came into yeah. the season with two strikers and with with Aubameyang looking like he was serious and motivated, and you'll remember those interviews with Arteta after a few games early in the season where Art, uh, Aubameyang was working his socks off, um, covering back, pressing, and he was saying, this is what we want from him. This is what we're looking for from our two guys, from him, from Lacazette. So we came into the season with two mainline strikers who'd cost us $50 million and a backup to them called Eddie and Kedia. Uh, who wasn't getting much of a look in. And it was a mess, right? Because how do you bring in a fourth striker at that point? And I think around November timeframe, they decided to take the tough medicine. And it wasn't working with Aubameyang. He wasn't scoring goals. It didn't get better in December. He wasn't playing. And they decided to take the tough medicine. And going into January, they decided, having spent a shitload of money uh, on Aubameyang over all that time. The priority was to clear the decks to solve the problem. Lacazette would go in the summer. Aubameyang, we had a chance. Somebody was interested. Somebody would take him off our hands and take off those wages and clear the decks so that we had somewhere for the next striker to land. They had to go in January. They couldn't get the guy they wanted. And... The only upside to all of this is they genuinely have cleared the decks pretty much across the board. And we're down to the metal, which means, you know, one or two players uh, to one side. They have a, they've done the reset. They've done the reboot. Uh, they may have taken a little too much tough medicine in that had they known how close we were going to be to top four, I think that January window would have gone different. But they prioritized fixing, if you like, it was fixed once and for all. Let's not half-ass this. Let's not kind of get some of people. Let's not kind of keep uh, Ainsley Maitland-Niles around and kind of keep one or two other players because we might need them. They said, no, let's go with who we believe in. Uh bare bones it, and we build from here, and we'll rely on the squad. And we absolutely left ourselves light in the attacking area. And it cost us, but so did being light in other areas. And had we had a robust defense, I would make the argument we could have been stronger and got those points uh, as much as the attacking area. We trusted in the way we were playing, and I would have loved a much better uh, striker, but I don't see how that would have happened in in the last in the summer transfer window. Given the backlog of players, we we just there was work we needed to do, stuff we needed to work through. Um, 
did they get it right? In hindsight, they needed to get a striker in January and they needed to get a midfielder in January and they needed to get a defender in January. Yeah. I think it's interesting because I look back at our predictions and we'll do a thing like we always do at the end of the season, what we got right, what we got wrong. And there's always plenty of, well, plenty of the latter, some of the former. <laughs> but I, I predicted us to be sixth on 61 points. We've outperformed that. And whether you think you have to look in the context of how the season shook out to decide whether that's great or not, here's what I think is interesting though. The reason I predicted that is I had us scoring 57 goals and conceding 45. We are currently on 56 goals. So if we get one against Everton, we'll be bang on. And we've already conceded 47, two more than I had. And it is interesting to me because I find myself pulled from pillar to post intellectually, trying to contextualize, Clive, the fact that I genuinely feel good about this season, despite how I'm feeling right now down in the dumps. And I feel connected and I feel engaged and I feel supportive of this group that's so likable and so easy to, to root for. But yeah. at its core, at a fundamental level, I see a team that sort of did the things that I kind of thought it would do, which is struggle for goals in the crunch moments and, you know, concede. By the way, we didn't concede a, a huge amount of goals, but a middling amount. We just turned that into one position better than I thought we would turn it into. And and that counts. That matters. That's the most important thing. But I'm curious how you balance those. And I want to make this the last point. Simply, for a person who's struggling, and every Arsenal fan has to be, and I don't care if you're the most positive or most negative, surely you connect to the chants and the songs and the young players and the positivity and the warmth around the club right now. I certainly do. I do. And you probably, in the back of your mind, have some doubts and some concerns about the way this season shook out. And I'm wondering how you reconcile what is clearly a project that has warmth and positivity around it with the raw numbers of what we produce that suggest a lot of the same warts are on this team that were on this team. Yeah, That's so, a fair way to phrase it. Yeah, so we are, we are a streaky team, right? So we win in bunches and we lose in bunches. And, and that's... Uh, that's, that's due to our age, really, um, and our emotional maturity, shall we say. Um, I think that's one thing that's happened. I think the way we've played and how we played, and particularly from our build-up, the two-footedness of our right back, Ben White's um, ball-playing and, and speed and Gabriel's speed and, and defending and Kirantini just being the stabiliser on the other side. When we got those guys together with Thomas Partey in the middle and we had our... Our six eight and our eight ten either side in midfield and stretching the pitch and we used Lacazette for a long period and Eddie towards the end. We can all sort of see this, you know, a little bit of rotation with Smith Rowe, but and Nuno, for example, and Cedric coming in and Sambi coming in. We can see we can see oh, this is interesting. This is this is something this is a is this something called a foundation? Oh, this mm. looks like something we can build upon. We can get a two footed right back cover. Right, it's maybe a bit more attacking and creative, and then Tommy has to can sit every now and again. So he doesn't have to burst his calves playing every minute of every game. Right, we can bring back potentially a William Saliba as a ball playing centre back and play left hand right side. 
if he ever plays for Arsenal, to be to be confirmed, right? Nuno will get more experience. So he becomes more experienced and his trust level will grow. He's played a number of games this season, more than people realise. Sambi, maybe don't throw Sambi in with, with Smith-Rowe and Odegaard for the one time he does play. Throw him in with someone like Shaka who can look after him a little bit and we can see his ability. Maybe start him as an eight rather than a six until he gets more robust in the league. We do need to add a carrier midfield. We do need maybe a two-way player midfield. We certainly need a, a more established striker up front and we certainly need somebody with presence to make people step back. Right? And when we have these things and we don't have to run these kids into the ground, they can rotate and come in and be really, really fresh. In a five-sub game next season, they can come off the bench and really devastate teams on occasion rather than be everything to us. I mean, Liverpool would not try to win the league with Harvey Elliott, would they? You know, yeah, we yeah, they just wouldn't. I'd like right? to see it. Yeah, but they're trying <laughs> to push him in when they want to, and Curtis Jones they rotate them in when they want to. We're playing our we're playing our twenty our youngsters, and they are they've got the they've got the shirt numbers right. So we're in a different phase in our in our development. But I think you can't fool people. They can see there's something there, but it's just incomplete. And if you want to blame, you can say, well, we should have this player and that player and this player would have made it. We'd have got the points we needed to just not be embarrassed by Spurs in the last day. And as as people's right, absolutely people's right. But I, I can't change that. I'd rather look at where we are today, have we hopefully try to highlight the lessons learned, and hopefully we see those players come in and see how we're going to play a mess next season. If we get that right, it's going to be interesting again. But Elliot, I will say... There is a level of pain that goes with this. And if we get it wrong, people will have less patience. That's just natural, right? They've been hurt once and you have less patience to be hurt again. right? So it's important we keep building. That's the most important message for me today. Yeah, that's well said. And the only I, I do think sometimes we're unfair to each other as fans. That we're, that we're not gracious enough to accept that this means a lot. And it's emotional. And it's meant to be a diversion from our real lives, which can be really hard, and especially over the last few years, have been extremely hard. And so we pour emotion into sport and into football and in Arsenal that we can't pour into our everyday life. We can't get lifted as high by our everyday life, and we can't allow ourselves to be as angry and low and upset in our everyday life. And football gives us some of that. And I'm sorry, I am not going to berate a fan who's devastated today and maybe lashing out a little bit. Nor am I going to berate a fan who says, you know what, I still want to love this project and say that I love Arteta because if I don't have that, what do I have? So it is always the case that we should be gracious to each other, that we should be charitable to each other and accept that everybody, and Clive says this better than I will, but that everybody's on a different journey. I do tend to react to setbacks and, and upset with some emotion and some fire in my belly. That is my initial reaction. And then that sort of, eases into a little more objectivity and, and thoughtful introspection about why things are happening. But if you're sitting here today raging and screaming Arteta out and, and get rid of all these bums, like, I think you'll get over that, but I totally understand being in that place right now. Um, the fact of the matter is, when I say the fact of the matter is, it's usually not a fact. That's just a, a, a little <laughs> um, hint about following what I say. But like, I love Bukayo Saka. He is a superstar. Emil Smith-Rowe and Martinelli are young players who probably will be elite. They're not there yet. We literally don't have a striker this summer. Both of our strikers are leaving. We don't have one. We have Thomas Party. 
We have a 30-plus-year-old Granite Shaka. We're probably losing El Nenny. Sambi wasn't trusted. Tierney doesn't play a lot. Nuno clearly not super trusted. We're already looking at a left back. And our right back showed some injury problems this season. So as much as I see progress, if you prefer to see the holes, the work still to be done, that's there for you too. But you know what? It reveals itself a game at a time, a signing at a time. And we can go on the journey incrementally. We don't have to sum it all up after every hardship or every success. Because a couple weeks ago, we wanted to re-sign El Nenny to 10-year contracts and, and Kenny to 10-year contracts, and today we want everyone sack. Right? And, and that, you're going to get pulled pillar to post if you do that. I'm going to see what the club does. I'm going to take a breath and see how we handle it. And you know what? I'm going to love being there on Sunday to sing songs, to celebrate the players who gave me, I think, a better season than maybe I've had recently, even through its disappointment. To see Bukayo Saka and Emma Smith Rowe and Gabriel Martinelli and Benjamin White and Aaron Ramsdale and Gabriel and you know Tomiyasu and these players who mean a lot to me and I feel connected to. And to thank them for giving me a good season, even if it is a disappointing season. I can't wait to do that and be with friends and be with you, Clive, and you, Paul, and Tim, and Andrew, and James on Saturday in an event that's still going to be absolutely brilliant. So I have nothing but good things to say about the community and the experience, even if I'm hurting today. That is more than your share of podcast for the day. Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants. Thanks, pause. Woohoo! Clive's on Twitter. Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. You know what? Football is a crazy, crazy thing. And the last point I want to leave you with is that when we get a jammy late penalty to beat Everton and check our phones and discover that Timu Puki has scored a winner at Norwich, we're all going to feel a lot better about this sport, aren't we? So let's just keep hope alive, even that one last little scintilla of hope that we need to get through the final day. I'm hitting the airport. I'm getting on a plane. Coming to see Arsenal. I love you. Thanks so much, everybody. We love you. And we'll talk to you after Arsenal 10, Everton know. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? 
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.